the seminar is about to start right now. So uh, for those of you who are going to stay in here, uh, I invite you if you could just quiet down. We're going to get started uh, with the message, the third breakout session of this three-part series. Uh, how many of you guys have been blessed so far at iShare? Yeah. Amen. I've been really, really blessed. And I'm excited to share with you guys today um, this message. For those of you who don't know who I am, uh, my name is Eric Isaiah. I'm 18 years old. And uh, I currently just graduated from uh, a high school in Loma Linda. I went to an Adventist Academy. And so I'm planning on going to Souls West next year, uh, Bible College. So it's going to be a really exciting experience. Um, but I, I actually grew up going to an Adventist school. And I went to an Adventist school from kindergarten up to 12th grade, K through 12. My whole life I've been in an Adventist school system. And so because of this, um, I think that I, I, at least, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm you know, completely qualified, but I would say I have some sort of an experience with the Adventist school system. And so that's why I want to share with you guys a message um, that's entitled Reaching the Choir uh, that directly uh, focuses on how you can witness in an Adventist school context. Like if you are a student who may be going to an Adventist academy next year or even an Adventist college, how can you take your faith, uh, your youth rush, or your iShare experience and share it in that context? Um, I actually got converted uh, when I was a sophomore at Loma Linda Academy. Um, and when I was converted, um, I had about two years to work in that school and you know, really try to make as much of a change as I could. And so throughout this seminar, I'm going to share with you guys some of the things I did, some of the tactics I used uh, to try and witness to as many friends as possible. And hopefully, uh, it's practical and simple enough that all of you guys could grasp them or maybe share them with a friend who is in an Adventist school, and they could also replicate that idea. And so um, I want to go over real quick. I'm going to have a little overview. If you guys are taking notes, really three simple steps. Uh, it's going to be throughout the seminar. First, step number one is forming a core group. And we're going to go in depth what these mean in just a minute. So don't worry if you don't get it just yet. Uh, but forming a core group, step number two, get involved. And step number three, planning activities. And I believe that uh, when you follow these three steps, uh, you can be more effective in witnessing in your school. And this can definitely give you a lot of ideas of things you guys can do that's work for me. And hopefully, by God's grace, it will work for you guys as well. But before we get into the seminar uh, and just look at it, let's just bow our heads for a quick word of prayer. Ask God to be with us and ask the Spirit to bless us in this time of study. Let's pray. Lord, we want to come before you and just thank you so much for uh, giving us this chance, Lord, to go through a, a, a seminar and a, a topic, Lord, that I know a lot of young people um, really are curious about. I know that I wish I... Uh, would have been able to have someone uh, share with me some ideas I could do in my school. But Lord, I know that you have taught me um, and some of my friends who have been with me um, how to witness in, in this context. And so I pray, Lord, that as I try to communicate um, my methods to uh, some of my friends here, that they would really be able to grasp them and make it practical, Lord. I pray that uh, they would, it would come alive to them. And I pray that your spirit would be in the midst of us right now, teaching us from your word. Please, Lord, as we are about to open up this seminar, just uh, be by our side and let your presence fill this room. For ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2011, I had just finished the first iShare con con conference, actually. It was my first summer canvassing, and I was really, really excited, okay? Um, if you guys think I get excited, as you guys are going to see me in this seminar, just you guys should have seen how excited I was. I went to my school, and I was like, all right. I had one friend, PJ, and I was like, all right, man. We're going to go to this school, and we're going to just witness to everybody we see. And so we just ran into that school, and we were like, all right, the first day we went talking to this friend. We're like, hey, man, you know, God changed our lives. We began, you know, sharing them our testimony. Went to the next person, next person, and just jumped around from a lot, a lot of people. 
And while we did get a lot of interest, I guess you could say, while we did get some uh, response at first, um, it didn't seem as effective um, to jump around from person to person to person really, really quickly and just share with a bunch of people. Uh, we kind of had this mindset that when we'd approach our school, uh, that we would have to witness to it as a corporate group or witness to everybody all at once and change everyone in our school all at once. And when we tried this uh, method um, at first, um, it, it, it did get some interest, but it didn't really work because we never really followed up and spent time with those people who had that interest. And so I think that especially when trying to learn how to witness um, in an Adventist school context, we need to realize this importance of forming a core group of people. What do I mean by that? I mean that when you go back to your school, if you have the desire or the fire that, that maybe Youth Rush has given you to go out and, and begin sharing with a bunch of people, that when you go do that, when you share with those, that you find those who have that interest. And when you find those who have that interest, you begin capitalizing on them. You begin spending time with them. You choose out of that vast multitude of, of, of students and friends uh, that you want to witness to, and you find those with the most potential and the most influence and, and, and who seem the most interested, and you begin capitalizing and spending time with them. You see, it's, it's really important to realize that uh, working uh, like Jesus did, um, as uh, you know, trying to, trying to help people to become disciples uh, by working on a specific group of people will be much more effective than trying to reach everybody all at once. And I think that Jesus, like I was just alluding to, had this same tactic as well. And he's an example that we can always trust and follow after. Uh, after. And I believe that Christ's example in witnessing to the world was very, very simple. We're asking this next question. How did Jesus witness to the whole world. Because just like we want to witness to our whole school, Jesus also had a mission to witness to the whole world. But the question is, did Jesus go out right when he came down and did he just begin doing everything all by himself and began trying to witness to everybody all at once? No. In fact, most of Jesus' time spent on earth was actually with a core group of people. And in Luke chapter 6, which I want to have to be the first Bible text for this seminar, in Luke chapter 6, verse 13, I hope you guys brought your Bibles. We're going to turn there really quickly. We find an example where Jesus uh, actually does this. And this is a passage where uh, Jesus uh, has a, a whole multitude of disciples in front of him. But he realizes the importance of following this tactic of a core group. And notice what Jesus does when he has all these people laid out in front of him. In Luke chapter 6, verse 13. Notice this. The Bible says this. And when it was day, he called unto, unto him his disciples. So notice this. He calls all of his disciples here. And then the verse goes on to say, And of them he chose how many? Twelve, whom he also named apostles. See, Jesus has a vast majority here of disciples to choose from. He has a whole group of people. Now, did Jesus want to witness to all of them? Yeah, I think he did want to, right? Jesus wanted to witness to the whole group all at once. But Jesus realized the importance of choosing a specific 12 out of that whole vast multitude and then began spending time with them. You see, this is exactly what I'm talking about when I'm speaking about a core group, is finding those few people in your school who have interests, whether it just be like two or three, but finding those people and beginning to build that friendship with them, begin building that, that, that core group relationship with them, begin training them just like Jesus did, and we can have the same result as him. Notice this. 
after Jesus chooses them, he does something else. And this is the two things we're going to look at in this section of forming a core group. Not only did Jesus choose his disciples, choose that core group, but look what he did in verse 17 after he begins giving us all the names in the following verses. Verse 17 says this, And he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples, and a great multitude of the people out of all of Judea and Jerusalem, and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Jesus takes that core group of disciples that he just chose. And what does he do with them? He begins going out into uh, that, that land. And he begins going out to, uh, to actually train them um, and how he would witness. Jesus goes out and begins healing people, doing, healing various diseases that they had. And he takes his disciples along with him. And so you see there's two parts of Jesus' ministry here. He chooses his core group. But then through his example, he begins to do what? To train them. And that's the two things I want to look at in this section of forming a core group. Not only do we need to choose those people who have potential in our school, who we find that interest in, but we also need to do the second thing, and that is train them. And I actually have a story about this. Um, this is actually about a friend of mine. Um, and of course, like I said here, uh, the point of this that we can apply is that we need to find those with interest and begin forming a core group and train them. But I want to share with you guys a story about a friend. Now, my, fr my classmates are laughing, or, or those who are in Thrush in his program know who he is. Uh, but it's one of my friends by the name of Andrew. Now, like I said, I, I approached school trying to witness as a whole, but I realized that that wasn't as effective. And I began looking for those who had interest and potential. And Andrew was someone who I saw that in. Um, Andrew was a kid who I was never friends with. Um, I didn't really... Uh, know him very much. In fact, I don't think I, I liked him very much before I converted. Um, but uh, I saw him and I realized that uh, he was interested as we were sharing with him uh, the, the, our newfound faith. And as we began sharing with Andrew, uh, we, we realized that we needed to spend more time. We began, we began training him. We began sharing with him. Uh, he began kind of doing the same thing that Jesus did with his disciples, kind of coming with us and seeing how we would give Bible studies, coming with us and seeing how we would witness. And, and when he co continued to, to come with us and to see how we did this, this thing, he became interested in wanting to learn how he could do it as well. Andrew began growing this, this desire in his heart to witness to his whole school as well. And we began to treat, train him, uh, you know, how to share his faith, how to give Bible studies, how to, how to preach a sermon in front of the congregation, how to give a Sabbath school. Um, and through this training, uh, Andrew actually began witnessing to his family. Andrew began having, uh, you know, some time in the morning where he would have a little devotional with his family. Uh, Andrew then went on to uh, leading his, his cousin uh, to coming in his Colporter program the following year. Uh, he took his brother Josh uh, to come along with him as well. Now both of them are excited and interested in the Bible. Um, through us spending time with Andrew and really spending time making him a part of that core group and training him, Andrew is now having an influence far beyond what we imagined. Andrew is now reaching people that I or my other friend PJ could not have reached. And he's done amazing, amazing things in the school around us. He's actually been involved in the Bible study committee at our academy. Uh, he, he's one of the people who gives Bible studies at lunchtime to students um, who, who want to come hear the word during lunch. Uh, he's been doing so many amazing things for God. And it's all because we decided to spend some time training him and making him a part of that core group of people. And so I think that the very first thing you guys need to realize is that we need to not only, uh, or we need to first off, choose those people with potential in your school and then go on to train them. I want to share one more story and then I'm going to go to the next part of it. 
Uh, this is one of my other friends. His name is Nick. <laughs> Uh, Nick was a guy who I met in choir. I just uh, entered my senior year in, in high school at the academy. And uh, I remember sitting next to him. He was a tenor, and I was a tenor too. And I was like, all right, you got a good voice. Uh, and, uh, and you have a good range, you know, because I'm a tenor too. And uh, I began kind of making friends with him after a while. And through that, I realized he wasn't actually Adventist. Uh, he was going to an Adventist school, and he attended an Adventist church from time to time. But his family wasn't Adventist. In fact, he grew up Catholic. And because of this, he was interested in learning more about God and learning more about the Bible. And it was really cool because uh, I remember after having a, a, a spiritual conversation with him, I gave him uh, one of my favorite Bible studies. And at the end of the Bible study, uh, he, he was, began relating it to me later on. He said that he, he was trying to hold back the tears in his eyes because he was just really, really touched about how powerful God's word was. And after hearing God's word, he, he had a desire that he also wanted to start sharing that with others in his school. From that, we saw this interest and potential in Nick. We began bringing him to this weekly Bible study that I hold at my house uh, with various speakers that we would have come by, um, such as David Machado, for those of you who know him, and other people who, were, who began sharing with him out of the Bible. And through this, Nick has uh, grown so much. He joined our ministry, uh, finished the work of ministry I'm a part of, which goes, does, does revivals at various churches. Uh, he began sharing his testimony with other people at different churches. Uh, many people were touched by his story and his testimony. And in fact, this last summer, um, he did a portion of the summer in Youth Rush. He went canvassing this summer. Um, and actually, in about, I don't know what time it is, but probably in about 30 or 40 minutes, he's going to get baptized. And so, um, all because we decided to spend some time in this guy who we saw potential and, and we saw this interest in, and we began to, to spend time with him and make him a part of this core group. And because of that, he's getting baptized today. And so I think that if we want to have that same result in our school, we need to also follow that same example of choosing people and then training them. But I guess the question that begs to be asked right after that is, well, we realize that Christ's example was that he chose them, right? Uh, and he trained them. But the following question that needs to be asked is, well, Eric, then what do I train my group, right? Um, it sounds easy to say, you know, I, I go and choose them. I realize that the choosing aspect is pretty simple. I just got to pick them. But now what do I train them? What do I share? And I think in order to, to understand this, um, we need to look at Jesus' example. And we need to see what did Jesus train his disciple? Uh, what did Jesus do to build up that core group that he, that he already selected? And if we can look at Jesus' methods or, or the things that Jesus taught these people, we can also follow them uh, as well, and we can apply them to what we can train uh, those people who are just freshly coming in or freshly have interest in the truth. Um, so let's look at that, a couple of those examples. Um, the first one is going to be found in Luke 11, verse 1. Uh, don't look at the past the verse on the PowerPoint, or you guys are going to cheat, because um, I, I put it in there. But uh, Luke 11, verse 1. For those of you who know this uh, passage, it's the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but before Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray, um, they ask him to in verse 1. And notice what it says in Luke 11, verse 1. The Bible says this, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, so check this out, Jesus is praying, um, the disciples see this, and notice what happens. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to, what? Pray. pray as John also taught his disciples. You see, Jesus took these disciples, he chose them, and then he began taking them to, to, to see how he worked or how he witnessed. And as they were looking at Jesus' example in Jesus' life, they began seeing him praying. And as they saw him praying, that grew a desire to them to ask, well, Lord, teach us 
how to pray. And then Jesus goes through that whole chapter, as you can read in Luke 11, and he teaches them the Lord's Prayer and, and different aspects of prayer. But what I want to pull out of this, I guess, example is that Jesus spent time teaching his disciples practical Christianity. What do I mean by that? Uh, things that you need uh, to have um, as a Christian, things that are essential. You know, when those people, uh, when, when you go to your school and you find those with interest and you begin training with them and, and sharing with them, uh, you're going to have a desire to probably go directly to seeing what they're doing wrong, as I did at first, and begin calling that out and be like, you know, you need to change your life, brother. You need to surrender. You need to do all this stuff, which is super important. Don't get me wrong. But first, you need to teach them how to have a daily walk with God. And that is what I mean by practical Christianity. Jesus taught him a simple thing as prayer. Um, another simple thing you could teach them, which is in this practical Christianity, is uh, teaching them how to have devotions. Uh, teach them how you study the Bible. Um, show them how they, can, how they can just spend, you know, 10 minutes or 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes in the morning just reading out of God's Word. Um, share with them, you know, different, the importance of, of, of sharing their faith or, or different things that are just really essential for us as Christians to know. Um, and so share with them this idea of practical Christianity. Even simple things like prayer. You guys would be surprised. Um, last summer I had a, a friend in my, in my co-porter group uh, who actually asked us in the middle of the summer, hey, uh, he was asking one of my leaders, hey, could you teach us how to pray? And he was a kid who, who went to an Adventist school for most of his life. He was an Adventist. He grew up Adventist, but the guy really sincerely didn't know how to pray. And so don't feel like, you know, just because you're out of school, something like that, you know, teaching them how to pray would be something too, I guess, uh, simple or easy or something that they, they already know how to do. Uh, but you'd be surprised how many people need to learn how to have a good prayer life and how to spend time with God in the morning. And so, just like Jesus, teach those people who you want to, to become a core group, teach them practical Christianity. Not only that, but Jesus in Matthew 10 taught his disciples how to do something else. Go ahead and turn there with me. Matthew 10, verse 5. This chapter, Desire of Ages, calls the first evangelists. And... This is the time when Jesus sends his disciples out. Uh, but before he sends them out, he has a whole chapter where he pretty much guides them on what to do when he sends them out. And that's pretty much what I want to highlight on. But look at what he says in verse 5 and 6. It says this, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of, Samar of Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he begins going through the whole chapter, describing how they are to do this mission. So here Jesus commands them to witness. Now, we know we're supposed to witness. We know we're supposed to, to go out and share our faith. But before Jesus sends them out to witness, what does he do with them? What does he do in that whole chapter? I, I think I already mentioned it. But he trains them. He shows them what they should expect. Uh, this chapter has that famous verse that co-porters love to quote, which says, uh, shake off the dust, right? You guys remember that? Uh, whenever someone rejects you, just shake off the dust off your feet and go to the next city. That's what Jesus tells them here. Jesus prepares them and, and trains them how to witness throughout this whole chapter. He tells them to be tactful, be, be uh, you know, wise as, as serpent, serpents and harmless as doves. Jesus goes throughout this whole chapter and trains these uh, disciples how to share their faith. And so we can also take that example, teach our friends, those who we want to be a part of this core group, how to witness. Um, teach them how to give a Bible study. Um, and maybe you say, Eric, I, you know, I can't really do that yet. Why are you, how are you telling me to go teach them? I don't even know how to do it myself. Well, 
you know, be useful and, and, and maybe bring your pastor. Have your pastor teach, teach them how to do it or have your pastor teach you how to do it. I'm sure that they'd be more than willing to do it if you just simply ask them. And so um, I think not only do we need to teach them practical Christianity like uh, devotions and prayer, but teach them also how to share their faith and how to witness just like Jesus did. Um, and there's two more I want to look at before I go to the next section. Um, but two more things that Jesus did. Um, in Luke 24, if you guys could turn there, we find uh, the famous story of the walk to Emmaus. This is one of my favorite stories, by the way. I have a lot of favorite stories in the Bible. Um, but this is a really, really exciting story of these sad disciples who Jesus meets. And in order for Jesus to transform these disciples to these kind of lukewarm, uh, you know, going back to their own old hometown, just kind of disappointed and sad with their heads dragging and, and really, really discouraged, Jesus shares with them several things to kind of get them back into this mode of being excited and sharing with those around them. And notice what Jesus expounds upon them in verse 27. It says this, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning who? himself. Jesus here uh, begins uh, talking to these disciples uh, who are not interested and are not excited, and he begins telling them and teaching them and training them not only about his life, but specifically what? Well, it said it, the scriptures and the things concerning himself. Jesus went back and he shared with them the prophecies about himself in the Old Testament. And as he was expounding upon them the things concerning himself in the Old Testament and the prophecies that were fulfilled by him, they began seeing this, and this began slowly, slowly, and slowly uh, changing them until they eventually get to know him in a verse later, which we're going to look at. But I want to bring out by this point that Jesus made sure to spend time teaching these disciples prophecies concerning himself and specifically the life of Jesus. Make sure that when you're training these people and, and these people you want to be a part of this core group out of the Bible, make sure you're always lifting up Jesus in every Bible study you give them, make sure that it's always lifting up Him. And make sure you also spend time knowing the prophecies. Um, you're gonna, I'm going to share with you guys a story a little later about that, but you'd be surprised how many people in our, in our Adventist school systems, uh, students who grew up in the Adventist church, really don't know a lot of the prophecies that we should know as Adventists. And so uh, make sure that you spend time revealing to them that, because I know that that's what really got me excited in learning more about God. Um, and so you reveal to them the prophecies concerning Himself. And notice this, the last thing. In verse 31, but I'm not going to click the, the slide yet because I, I don't want to tell you guys. I want you guys to see it, okay? Check this out. Verse 31, notice how Jesus gets these disciples to just go out and, and do his work. Check this out. This is really beautiful. It says, and there, okay, verse 10, or 30, excuse me, verse 30. Verse 30 and 31. And it came to pass, as he sat at the meat with them, or the meal with them, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And verse 31 says, And their eyes were, what? Opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. So check this out. Jesus, in verse 30, he does something. And after he does something, in verse 31, it says, All of a sudden, their eyes are opened, and they automatically knew him. All right? And look what they do in verse 34, or verse 33. It says, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared unto Simon. And they told what things were done in that way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Jesus does something here in verse 30 that like gets the disciples to know him so much that in a couple verses down, they instantly that same hour go out and begin witnessing for him. 
And so if we want to have that same thing replicated in our disciples or those people who we want to form a part of a core group, we need, to show these, we need to show them the same thing that Jesus showed these disciples. And what did Jesus show these disciples? Well, the Bible said in verse 35 that he was known of them in the what? In the breaking of bread. Now, I don't think you guys got it just yet, uh, but that's okay. You guys are going to get it in just a minute. But when someone breaks bread, how do they break the bread? So they put it in their hands, right? They, they raise it up. And they're sitting down at the table there, and, and he, he breaks the bread, right? As soon as he breaks the bread, Jesus' hands most likely handed the bread to one of the disciples, right? And as the disciple went over here and he picked the bread from his, the, the loaf of bread from his hand, what was the first thing that they saw? They saw what? They saw his bare hand, right? And what did they see on that hand? I heard someone say it already. The scars. And after they saw the scars that were seen on Jesus' hand, that was like, whoa. And they automatically knew that it was Jesus. And that, seeing those holes in his hand, inspired them that very hour to go out to the disciples and tell them what? That the Lord is risen. You see, what, what, what motivated the disciples to go out and witness to those around them was when they fully understood uh, what Jesus had done for them in his hands. And so when we understand the cross event, that's what's going to motivate us to go out and start sharing our faith with others. And if we want this to take place with other people and part of this core group in our school, we need to not only share them how to have devotions and prayer, how to witness or the prophecies about Jesus' life, but most importantly, we need to really, really show these people what Jesus had done for them and uplift the cross. And if we follow this, this fourth step of, of lifting up the cross and what Christ has done, it will give us that, uh, that fruit that we're desiring. It will have these people, just like Andrew and just like Nick, get excited and want to go out and share with other people in their school as well. And so um, I think very, very simply, the four steps we looked at, um, and step number one can be summarized in two points. Um, that is that Jesus chose that core group. Um, that, that, that shows us that we need to find those with potential and choose them. But not only that, we need to also train them. Jesus trained that core group uh, with practical Christianity, how to witness prophecy himself, and then the cross. And so we also need to follow Christ's example in forming a core group. And just like Jesus um, didn't just come to this world and try to do this all by himself, uh, just like Jesus spent three and a half years of his precious time on this earth uh, with this core group, uh, Jesus also knew that once he would do that, once he would spend that time with them, uh, in the book of Acts, after he left, these disciples would go out and do what? Eventually change the whole known world at that time. And so if we want to have that same result in our school, we also need to form that core group of people. Because just like we, uh, just like Jesus eventually had to leave and go home, we eventually are going to have to graduate too, right? We're eventually going to leave that school. And if we don't have a core, you know, freshman or sophomore that we're really spending time making a part of that core group, those people, uh, that, that, that mission in that school is not going to continue. And so that's why this is so, so important, guys. And I'm spending that much time on it because it's really crucial for us to know that if we want this to take place, we really need to spend time with underclassmen especially, training them, getting them ready, so that when we leave, just like Jesus left this world or, or our school, they can continue that work in our school after we're gone. Amen? So uh, step number one, form a core group. Uh, and really quick, before we get to step number two, I forgot, uh, just make sure don't seclude yourself. Uh, when you get a core group, it's going to be kind of fun. You know, you're going to be hanging out with them like, yeah, man, 
we're, we're a group, we're a clique now, um, but don't make it a clique, uh, please. Uh, make sure you're not, you're not like this, this, uh, this kid at the playground who's just you know, chilling on the swings by himself. Don't just hang out with your group and, and talk about spiritual things while other people are walking by you and, and not knowing God. Uh, make sure you're really, really um, not secluding yourself and being open. And when you're doing that with your core group, that automatically leads to step number two. And that is step uh, getting involved. Because in order for you not to seclude yourself and just kind of hold that group to yourself, you must get involved. And so um, what I want to bring out out of this section um, is pretty much different things that you could do in your school uh, to make a difference and different ways you can get involved. And I think that there's actually two uh, primary ways that you can get involved in your school. Um, the first way is getting involved in school events with your group, with your core group. Uh, please uh, look carefully at that school events uh, word because that's the most important one in that sentence. Um, getting involved in school events, and what I mean, we're going to look at it in just a moment, but pretty much the different events that school puts on. Go there with your core group, socialize, and get ch uh, chances and opportunities to witness. Uh, but number two, get involved in leadership with your group. And uh, let, me, let me just go into it uh, before I give too much away about the second one, too. Uh, but the first one, I want to share with you guys a story. Uh, it's about this kid. Uh, a couple of you guys know him from my school. Um, his name is Brian. And uh, what happened with Brian was very interesting. I decided after, you know, I, I met Andrew and Nick and uh, built a core group, I decided to attend this choir uh, tour that was taking place at my school. And on this choir tour, we uh, were driving up to Northern California, and it was like a four or five hour bus drive. Now, with all that time you know, on your hands, you guys have a lot of things to do. Um, not really, you're more, pretty much bored. Um, but uh, because of that, uh, you know, Andrew was just sitting across from me, and he's like, hey man, you know, do you mind uh, breaking down the 490 prophecy for me? And I was like, yeah, you know, sure, why not? You know, I'll, I'll go ahead and open it up for you, because we have like three hours anyways. I mean, we may as well you know, do something productive. And so he's like, yeah, I just want to freshen up on it. Can you, can you go over it? Actually, yeah, sure. So, so we started opening up this Bible study on the 490-day prophecy in the 2300 days. Well, as I was sharing with him this Bible study, um, like I believe halfway through the Bible study, something uh, really interesting happened. Um, the guy who was sitting in the seat in front of me actually turned his head around and began just like looking at us and, and listening. And I, I kind of just had to acknowledge him. You know, I was like, hey, man, you know, do you want to join us? He's like, oh, yeah, I was listening the whole time. Uh, while you were, since the beginning of the Bible study, I was just, I didn't turn around yet, but I was listening to everything you were saying, and it's so, so interesting. Please continue. And I was like, whoa, praise the Lord. And I was like, all right, man. So I kept going, and at the end of it, when I, when I shared how the 2300 days ends in 1844, uh, he was just like blown away. He was like, no way. You know, I, could, I can't believe this. Like, I didn't know that the Bible has something so deep. That's really, really powerful and exciting. And eventually, because of this, um, I was able to actually give him another Bible study on that choir trip. But you see, what I want to bring out by that is I would have never had that opportunity to witness to that friend if I didn't get involved in that school event. If I didn't go to an event that, that's not, and, and what I'm saying is something that's not necessarily, um, you know, on one side or the other, but like a neutral event, like a choir event, something that, that your school just goes to. Uh, but because I was willing to go with my core group and just get involved in it, just, just have my presence there and, and, and be on that trip, God was able to open up a door for me to witness uh, to one of my classmates. And so I think that um, you could also follow this example of going to these innocent social events 
Um, and we can also uh, get many opportunities by attending these events and not secluding ourselves. And an example we find uh, Jesus uh, doing the same thing is when he went to the wedding in John 2. Now, we don't have to turn there, but you guys know the story. Uh, Jesus shows up to uh, this, this event. He gets invited here. And as he's at this wedding, um, you know, he's kind of just enjoying himself, socializing with the people. Eventually, what does he get led to do? To perform a what? A miracle. He turns the water into wine. Here, Jesus is seen as going to uh, an event that's not necessarily a church-only event or like a Bible study specifically or like, you know, um, uh, specifically like, you know, doing like miracles or healing or something. It's just a normal event like a wedding. And Jesus shows up at this event. And because he showed up at this event, he got an opportunity to witness. And this is exactly what I'm trying to bring out with my story as well. Um, at your school, find those different events, whether it be like a Beach Vespers event or whether it be like uh, a choir tour or, um, you know, uh, like at our school, we have this event called the Handshake. It's like the first event of the year where you get to like meet all of the new incoming uh, freshmen um, or just different events that your school puts on. It's not necessarily a place where you would compromise, uh, but it's a place you could just go to kind of socialize, make friends, and eventually get chances to witness just like Jesus did. And if you show up at those events with your core group, you could also get chances to perform uh, miracles in the sense of breaking the bread of life to those who want to hear it. And G, uh, Ellen White actually backs this up and gives us uh, an example here. I think it's actually speaking about the same wedding. She says this, um, The example of Christ and linking himself with the interests of humanity should be followed by all who preach his word and by all who have received the gospel of his grace. We are not to renounce social communion, she says. Um, we should not seclude ourselves from others. And she goes on to say that it is uh, these places we are to go, it is found in the, in the home of the lowly, in the mansion of the great, at the hospitable board, and the gatherings for innocent enjoyment. And so Ellen White clearly says here that everyone who uh, you know, is, preaches Jesus' Jesus's word or, or wants to be a witness for him should follow his same example. And that is linking yourself with humanity, attending, like she says there, innocent social enjoyment events. If you can go to those events, not a place where you're going to compromise, please, I'm not saying that, uh, but events that you can go to to just show up and, and show your presence there, God can open up many doors for you and your core group to witness the people in your school. And so um, that's the first thing I want to bring out in getting involved. Um, the second way is getting involved in leadership. Now, this one is really, really interesting and exciting. Um, leadership is very, very important. Um, leadership is a huge position of influence. And I want to share with you guys a story, it's kind of funny, about a, a group of students who attended an Adventist university a couple years back who decided that they wanted to witness their school. And they decided that uh, leadership was something that was very, very important to them. And they're like, all right, guys, this is what we're going to do. Uh, you know, they, got, they gathered up their, their core group, their four or five people, and they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to all try and get into position of leadership at school. We're going to all try and get to a position of religious vice. What we're going to do is all five of us are going to apply for the same exact position. We're going to all apply for like religious vice. And like, and you know what's going to happen? When all of us apply for that, that, that position, uh, the people who then are going to go and try and run are going to see how many people they're going to be running against, and no one else is going to run except for us. <laughs> and they're like, once we have all of us in there and all of us running and it's just us running, then no matter who gets in, whether it's me or you, we're all part of the same group, so it's fine. 
And so one of them ended up getting in, and they're like, all right, once you get in, then we're just going to share ideas and work together, uh, just like we would have done in our own time, except now one of us is a position of leadership. And so they kind of had a sly little you know, plan of doing this, uh, but it worked very, very well. Because of that, they, they did, their plan worked completely like they, like they imagined. They got involved in, the, in this leadership position. They all applied for it. One of them got chosen. Uh, they began sh d different ideas. Because they were in this position of leadership, uh, they were able to plan various revivals at their school. Um, they were able to bring in speakers, you know, guest speakers from different places, um, different evangelists who uh, could share with different students, um, you know, uh, God's word. And uh, they were able to invite people to these events. Because of that, they were able to plan more spiritual events, uh, like more Vespers um, at, at different people's houses or, or uh, more Bible studies. And, and they were able to plan a various amount of events, all because they got involved in this position of leadership. And so I think that uh, if we want to be successful just like them, we can also follow that same example of being in, uh, in some sort of leadership with our core group, uh, applying and running for office. I know I made that mistake. I, I didn't run for, um, you know, like, like my, to, be, to be like religious vice for my senior class. I didn't run for any of those. Uh, but I know people now who are in that position. And, and seeing how many more options they have um, because they're in that position, it's just like, man, I could have been so much more effective and what I was doing if I would have just simply got involved in that office. So please, when you go back, um, if you're going back to an Adventist school, don't be afraid with your core group to get involved in a, a position of, of influence because um, it will have an effect. And Ellen White says it pretty clear when she talks about leaders. She says um, that the spirit manifested by the leader will be, to a great extent, reflected by the people. And so if you have a, a person in leadership uh, someone who's on, who's on fire, someone who just came from Youth Rush and, and I share and who's really, really excited to, to share, um, and they're in their leadership position, that will eventually get reflected to the students who have them as their leader. And so it's really, really important to be in a leadership position. Um, and I want to share one more story real quick before I go to the next um, point. And that was a position I was able to join. Um, it was the Bible study committee at my school. Um, this is at our Adventist school. We had a campus ministries apartment, and I was able to be a part of one of the people, just like Andrew, who I showed earlier, who was able to give Bible studies at lunchtime. And uh, it was really cool because so many students were able to come attend who would have never, you know, learned about God or, or learned about any of these things if they hadn't, if I hadn't got into that position of, of being a Bible study committee director. And it was really amazing. Um, there was the majority of the group, I think there was about 20 people that would join us at lunch um, every single day. And most of them were actually freshmen, um, kids who, who were just, you know, coming in. They were just interested, you know, coming into high school. They didn't really know what to expect. And you know that at a younger age, people are more moldable and more changeable, and you, you have more of an influence on them. And so we began just, you know, just sharing the Bible with these freshmen. And I just remember how amazing it was going through the different prophecies and having these students come up to me at the end and just like, man, like, I've never learned this before. Like, I, I remember just barely scratching the surface on this, but you shared with me, me something so deep that I've never learned before. And just seeing how they were just, like, so touched by these Bible studies that were taking place at lunch. Um, not only that, I remember uh, one time I gave a message. It was on, uh, on the mark of the beast, but mainly the seal of God, okay? I was focusing on the, on the positive aspect of it. And uh, I, was, I was telling them how, you know, in the last days we need to make sure that we're worshiping God on the Sabbath and worshiping Him the true way. And I remember at the end having students, like people who are in my grade, people who, who, who are at my school and my high school, just in tears coming up and saying, Eric, please, when's the next Bible study? You know, when, when will you teach us again of how to actually keep the Sabbath in a true way? How can we worship God in the right way on the Sabbath? They were coming up and asking me these kinds of questions. And this would have never taken place 
None of his chances of witnessing to these freshmen or any of these other underclassmen wouldn't have taken place if I didn't get involved in a position of leadership. And so I want to challenge you guys. Um, make sure you get involved. Don't seclude yourself with your core group. Get involved in uh, events that take place at your school, uh, just like a um, school event, like a choir tour or like a Vespers. And also make sure you get involved in leadership with your group. Uh, because God can, can use leadership to influence many, many people that wouldn't have been able to be reached if you weren't in that position. And so after you get involved, uh, this automatically comes uh, to step number three. And that is when you're involved in a position of leadership, uh, that automatically gives you the position or the authority to follow step number three. And that is plan events, planning events. Um, and what I mean by planning events is pretty much with your core group, uh, when you're in a leadership position, you can plan more spiritual events at your school that wouldn't have taken place if you didn't plan them. And uh, I'm going to give you guys an, uh, an example of a couple of practical things that I did to plan um, with my school and um, some of the results of that and some of the testimonies I have from that. But before I do that, I want to share with you guys a quote I actually found from Ellen White. And uh, this one I think is really, really uh, amazing when I saw it. It's actually not written by her, excuse me, uh, but it's a biography about her and it's describing what she did in um, sometime in the 1800s. But um, I can give you guys the exact date later, but it, it, it specifies May 30 of that year here. But notice what it says. Ellen White here, just for the context, she pretty much uh, has a sanitarium she's working with and a lot of people in that sanitarium who she really wants to witness to. Uh, but I want you to notice what what was one of Ellen White's like tactics in doing this? What she did to kind of make that job go a little smoother. It says this, Ellen White had taken special interest in the developments at the sanitarium. She understood, perhaps better than others, its potential and field of fruitful service. With burgeoning patronage and a capable staff, the care of the guests brought in to, to include, now notice this, this is the important part, to include recreational activities, such as driving about the town or visits to Gowak Lake two miles to the south. And on Wednesday, May 30, a picnic at the lake was planned for the staff and guests. I have a question for you. Did Ellen White believe that you shouldn't have any time for any recreational activities whatsoever? Did she believe that you could only spend time just, you know, just studying, studying, which is not a bad thing, but did she just believe in only Bible study and that's it? No. Ellen White believed in in having recreational activities. Um, I believe that she realized, just as this little point that I put here, that she could use recreational activities as events, or recreational events as opportunities for God to get chances to recreate us. Um, she realized the power that there was in having a time of recreation. And what I mean by recreation, and I'm gonna clarify in a minute when I show with you guys some of the things that I did um, for these activities, is not necessarily events that you you know, just do like only, only fun things and then, you know, have God not in the picture. But as I, I specified right there at the top, I mean events that are pretty much you planning a spiritual and a socializing event in the same way. And I'm going to give you guys an example right here, okay? The first thing I mean by this and what I mean by making spiritual events is um, active activities. What I mean by this is how many of you guys like to exercise? or have friends who like to exercise. Okay, some of you guys aren't raising your hand, you're honest, that's okay. Um, sometimes I don't feel like exercising either. Um, I know I, I need it sometimes, but um, anyways. 
Uh, but what's, what's really cool about active events is most people have an interest in that. Most people want to get fit. Most people want to stay fit. And especially young people at, at an age uh, like we are, we, we really enjoy having a time to do this. And so one thing that you could really do is you could plan active activities, such as rock climbing, tennis, or, or different sports you guys could do, uh, like running or maybe like hiking. You could do different active activities such as this, um, which gives you a time to socialize and connect with those who you're trying to witness to in your school. Uh, but they could also um, have a time within that activity where you can bring something spiritual. What I mean is, is like this. Let's say um, uh, you plan an event to go for a hike, right? And as you guys go up for the hike, by the time you reach the top of the mountain, you plan with the whole group that after we're done hiking and after we have this active activity, um, at the top, you guys could have a little worship service or you guys could have a little devotional thought or a little time where you share some of them in the, in the Bible or have a Bible study. Um, and so what I mean is you can take active activities and kind of match up uh, you know, the active part of it, physical, physical, like, you know, exercise, but then add a spiritual exercise as well. And uh, I actually did this, as you see a picture here, uh, with this club I started at my school. It's called CFC. It was called Climbers for Christ. Um, now, we could do that at an Adventist school, so we posted up a bunch of photo, you know, a bunch of advertisements around school, join CFC, you know, come with us and climb. And it was really cool. We went to a local rock climbing gym nearby, and uh, what was really awesome about that was uh, we had a bunch of students, as you can see here, join us for that event. Well, right after, we were like, you know, we told them, we actually told them at the beginning, we weren't like trying to trick them into anything. We told them at the beginning, you know, um, after this, we're going to plan like a Vespers. And some of the people who came and rock climbed with us and had a good time and, and built that relationship with us, eventually, guess what? They ended up joining us for that Vespers that they had at my house. And so because of that, um, I was able to, I think on multiple occasions, at least two or three times, I was able to give Bible studies to people um, at my school, who would have never came to a Bible study at my house if I planned it, who probably would have never came to a church service if I invited them, but because I was willing to do this recreational activity and then add a spiritual side at the end, uh, I was able to get a chance to plant some seeds. And uh, I believe that it, it did you know, have some sort of an impact on them. And you can do simple things like this with your core group or even with other people who you're trying to witness to, um, such as like active activities to, um, and spiritualize them and get many opportunities to witness because of that. Not only that, uh, but you can do other things, um, such as a game night. Now, really quick, before you guys jump in and be like, whoa, um, I'm not talking about video games or any of that. Please, no. I'm not talking about any of those at all. I'm talking about like board games or different events or games that you guys can come up that can help you uh, make friends with that group. Um, the canvassers know this. Um, that at the beginning of each program, or at the beginning of your summer program, you had a time where you played some games with your leaders and the rest of your group, right? And uh, for those of you who were there, what did that do with you and the rest of the group? It brought you closer together, right? It kind of unified you. It got you guys like working together on a team to, to accomplish something, and it really helped out in you like getting to know each other. And so you can have simple game nights like this where you guys play board games, like maybe Bible Taboo, or uh, other, other game board games you could do like Last Word or something. Um, different things that could be also something that you know, could be beneficial to you. You guys could learn something at the same time. Um, but not only that, it's a really great way to socialize. And what you could do is really easy. Um, you can invite some friends on a Saturday night uh, to come have a game night and have them come over like maybe an hour or 30 minutes before the game night and have like a closing Vespers uh, to close the Sabbath off. And right after you guys finish closing off the Sabbath, you guys can then have your time to just kind of hang out and do that. But it's a way that you can mix this event of gathering for like a social event uh, but also have a spiritual side to it as well. Instead of having those, those kids, uh, you know, going out and, 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 you know, doing other bad things on Saturday night, like partying or, or whatever, 
a lot of kids do these days on Saturday nights, uh, you can have them in, in your house, you know? And, and even then, you guys can have like a time where you, you, when you guys are having a game night, you guys can have your mom, you know, make you guys some really good vegan food. You guys can kind of like try and transmit the health message at the same time, you know? You guys can do different things like that that can kind of give off uh, the message while having a social event. And so I think game nights are really um, important. Really quick, I only have a couple more minutes, so I gotta fly through this. Beach Vespers, you can plan this event. Uh, pretty simple, self-explanatory. Have a time at the beach with a couple of your friends, and then at the end of it, close it off with a little Vesper service. Um, and lastly, Bible study. Really quick, I gotta share with you guys this story. I have only a couple minutes, guys. But this story was powerful. Um, I began a, a Bible study group at my house um, at my, after school. It began with like five or for six people. Uh, but over a, a course of a year, it grew to about 20 people coming to this, this Bible study every week. And by the last few weeks that I've had this, this past, uh, before the summer began, um, I actually had about 25 to 30 people coming every single week. And these were kids from the academy, Loma, from, from my school, from Loma Linda Academy, who were coming to, to uh, this Bible study and learning more about God. And it was just so amazing. We had um, uh, many, many people uh, show up, but also the impact that it had on these students. Um, at the end of the Bible study, after going through the fundamental beliefs, um, the, the person who was giving our Bible study uh, actually made an appeal, and about five or six of them, if I can remember correctly, about five or six of them made a decision to be baptized. And so if we didn't plan this simple thing of having a Bible study like at your home or at a, at a, at a location, uh, we wouldn't have had that kind of an impact. But because we were willing to do that, students from our school, students who would have never been reached out to, because they came to this Bible study event, they heard God's word in its entirety. They realized the importance of study. And because of that, they made a decision for God. And at least a couple of them, I, I, um, I would say about six or seven of us, including me and a couple of my other friends uh, from that group of Bible study group have come canvassing this last summer as well. And so you never know the impact that planning simple, some simple event like a Bible study group could have on your school. And so with that, um, I pretty much want to pretty much close it and share one last thought. If I have time, I hope I do. Um, but I want to just review and then close with one more thought. And that is this, guys, uh, that you guys need to follow these simple three steps of forming a core group. Not only forming a core group, uh, but the way you're able to do that is by choosing those disciples uh, choosing those who have influence and who have potential and, and picking them and selecting them. And after you select them, make sure to do the, the second part of step number one, and that is train them. And if you guys, if you're those of you guys who took notes or remember, that was training them practical Christianity, how to have devotions, how to witness, teaching them about the cross and about Jesus and prophecy. Not only that, but you could then need to get involved with your core group, uh, get involved in different school events uh, that can help build bridges, recreational activities for God to get opportunities to recreate them. Um, and then uh, getting involved in leadership positions, uh, such as like influence, um, or so that, that will give you influence, excuse me, um, such as like applying for a religious vice position where you can plan more activities. And that's where step number three comes in, planning activities. The different practical ones I had for you guys are like Bible study, active activities, and beach wrestlers. But you guys will say, Eric, this sounds pretty cool, it sounds pretty nice, but I'm not qualified enough. Um, I, I just don't think I could do it. You know, I've only had one summer of canvassing. I just don't think I'm ready just yet. Well, for that, I want to share with you guys one quick thought from Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 18 to 20. And I actually have them on the, on the, on the board, I think, or on the PowerPoint, thank goodness for time. It says this, and this is you guys, for you guys uh, that, that know this, this is the Great Commission. 
It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then he goes on to give them the rest of the Great Commission. Really quickly here, before we read um, that verse, I gave it away, but it's okay. Before we read, um, uh, or before we read on, I want to bring out something here. Jesus, in this passage, he commanded the disciples to go out and witness, right? We probably heard a lot of things about the Great Commission before. But I think something that we always bypass or something that kind of goes in the back of our mind is when we read this is like, well, you know, Jesus was commanding the disciples to go out and witness and have the Great Commission after he spent all that time training them. And they were out of this position where they were like, you know, unstoppable spiritually. And they, they were really, really qualified when Jesus gave them this command. But it's very interesting because if you look at the context of the Great Commission, a verse before, in verse 17, before Jesus gives his commission, it actually gives you guys the condition of the disciples. And it says, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some, what? Doubted. You see, these disciples, obviously Jesus didn't want them to be in a position of doubt. But did Jesus knew they doubted? Yeah. Jesus knowing that they were still doubting, that they still hadn't reached that, that level just yet, even though he had this in his mind and, and he had a knowledge of this, he still went on in the next verse to command them to go out and do what? To share to the whole world. And so what I want to bring out by this is you guys may not feel qualified right now. You guys may feel, well, I've only had a summer of training. I don't have enough, I don't have enough training to do this. But all I want to tell you guys is the same thing Jesus told his disciples. Is even if you may not feel like you're at that point yet where you're fully ready, Jesus wants to use you to witness just where you are at right now. He wants to use you to witness in the condition you are in right now. It may not be the condition he wants you to stay in, but it's the condition that he wants to use you in right away. And so don't feel like you've got to wait till later, till you're more qualified or more trained. But when you go back to your school this next week or whenever you go back to, to, to college or your academy, uh, feel free to apply these steps right away. Don't wait till later because um, God wants to use you just like you are. Amen? Uh, was, this, was this seminar clear? Was it pretty easy to understand? Did you guys get learn something? I hope you guys could use this. I hope it was actually uh, beneficial to you. Let's pray. Father, we want to come before you and just thank you so much for these tools you gave us, Lord, to reach the choir, um, to reach those who um, say they're Adventists, Lord, but really need to learn more about you. And so I pray, Lord, that as we go back to our various schools, whether it be Adventists or non, that we would follow these simple steps, Lord. And I pray that you'd help us to remember it. Um, if we uh, wrote it down, Lord, to review it um, so that we'll, when we go back, we can apply these and we'll be able to be much more effective witnesses for you, Lord. Just like you gave uh, me many stories, Lord, of, of how you were able to work in my school and, and in my life, I know that you want to do, to do the rest for those people who are in this room right now at this seminar. And so, Lord, just like those disciples, if we feel weak and unworthy, help us to remember that you are willing to use us to witness just like we are. And so please uh, pour out your spirit upon us, strengthen us, empower us, Lord, to have the strength to do this. And I pray that next year um, we would have an effect in our school that we've never had before, Lord. And I pray that your spirit would be poured out on all our schools, Lord, um, so that we can really uh, save more young people and bring them into the church so that we can have you come back sooner and finish this work, Lord. We love you and we just thank you so much for what you're going to do through all of us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.